Welcome back, everybody, to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar Season 2. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Legend of Korra. And my name's Todd Micah. I'm the author of the Grimguard book series, and I had never watched Legend of Korra until now. If you've been following along with our podcast, then you know that we normally cover two episodes of Korra every podcast episode. But today, ladies and gentlemen, is a very, very special day. We are at the ending of Korra Season 3, and today's episode is the Triple Threat. Because there is... <laughs> yes, because, because there is... Uh, or because there are three more episodes left of season three, leave it to them to, you know, plan ahead and leave an odd number of episodes for us. We are covering not two, but th not, not the final two, not just one, but all three last episodes of season three today. That's right, folks. Episodes 11, 12, and 13. Yeah, I know. The first time we've ever done just three. Like, obviously we did four for the finale of Avatar. Yep. I don't think we've ever done three in one episode. That's going to be interesting. Yes, yes. Admittedly, like that was really pushing the envelope. But you know us over here, we don't do anything halfway over here at the Millwood and Micah podcast. We are overachievers. We are extra. Totally. We are extra. <laughs> Today's uh, today we come to first episode eleven, the ultimatum. It's written by Joshua Hamilton and directed by Colin Heck. Uh, I'm telling you, I love this duo. Like they're so good. The the the, the, right, the writing is so good. It's so quick. It's so snappy, and they like they keep it moving. There's heartfelt moments. I just I love them. Uh, animated by Studio Mir. The episode aired August 15th, 2014. And the IMDb rating of The Ultimatum is 9.3 out of 10. Superb rating. Amanda, take us away with those fun facts. Alrighty. For our first fun fact, writer Katie Matilla improvised Lin, or sorry, not Lynn, Yin's line of saying that she will take a nap during a temporary audio recording session. Which what? I, when I read that, I was like, that actually makes a ton of sense. Cause I always felt that that line had a sort of improvised feel to it. Like they just kind of threw that out there and they kept it. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. Love you, Katie Matilla. <laughs> That's awesome. And for our second fun fact, this is the first time in either series, Avatar or Legend of Korra, where two airbenders are shown fighting each other. And yeah, it's uh, kind of brutal. <laughs> Like it's very real. The airbenders are pacifists because otherwise they would take out every other. The nation. airbenders are pacifists, mocking SpongeBob <laughs> meme. <laughs> yeah. This is the next three um, episodes here very clearly prove. Well, they're not pacifists anymore. <laughs> nope, they are not. But we love the, them. the airbender. The airbenders woke up and chose violence in these three episodes. <laughs> yes, they did. Um, and our third and final fun fact is that the episode's final shot of Tenzin being brutalized by the Red Lotus had to go through retakes, as initially the slow pan movement caused the shot to linger too long on the Red Lotus's assault. Yeah, I, man, let me tell you, because this episode, even though the last two, they like were released together on the same day, this one was not. So we had to wait a week 
to find out if Tenzin survived or not. Like, we literally thought he had that line. I was dead ass like, they just killed him. I can't believe it. We're going to find his body in the next episode. And the line that like totally solidified it in my mind was when Tenzin said, you know, as long as I'm still breathing, you know, it's not over. And I'm like, God damn it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's dead. Like, so he's just going to suck the air out of his lungs and leave him to die. Yeah, I was just like, oh, he's dead. He dead for sure. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, that's all for the uh, fun facts. So let's move on to the episode, shall we? Oh, my gosh. Well, I mean, you know, you <laughs> and I were talking before uh, before we started recording that the these last three episodes, all three of them, you know, we weren't sure how much actual content, I mean, there's lots of big story points to discuss, but as far as episode content story-wise, there's not a lot to dis- dissect as if they have these big, complicated, winding plots like some of these episodes do, because a huge portion of them is lots and lots and lots of fighting. And this episode mm-hmm. really sets the stage for it. Um, I mean, it's pretty straightforward, you know, the episode takes us through the reunion it wraps up the whole separation of the group and and takes us through the reunion of mako and bolin with the rest of of team avatar um for the revelation that zaheer is going this it's literally the setup for the finale he's going to the northern air temple to go kill all of the air nomads to end the air nation um mm-hmm. unless Korra surrenders herself and so you know, there's a bit of chasing around trying to to get a hold of of uh, a Tenzin, which I love the conversation between Milo and Bolin on the radio. Yeah. Tenzin's not here right now. Can I take a message? Such a little <laughs> shit. I love him. And he's like, we found a whole herd of sky bison, and, and Bolin's like, look, I, oh, really? A whole herd? Really? really? <laughs> That's, that, that, that's like me when like I call my cousins or like anybody and like call their house and like the kid picks up. I'm like, oh, hey, what's going on? And we just like sit chatting for a while. And I'm just like, they're just telling me about like a picture they colored or something their dog did. And I'm like, that's so cool. And then the adult gets on the line and I'm like, what are you doing? We're having a great conversation. Leave us alone. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's very, very cute. And I... Like, I like build up to big action scenes. Yeah. Like, so this, ba- like you were saying, this basically is all just build up to the next two episodes um, that were released together. And I really like it because for one thing, I guess we can actually for once start at the very beginning of the episode. Yeah. Um, I love seeing the fallout of the Earth Queen's death from, you know, the, a couple episodes ago. Like, Bossing Say is in total chaos, yep. and I love to see it because that place is awful. <laughs> um, <laughs> Finally, it burns. Tim Hedrick's just like crying <laughs> in the corner. <laughs> yes, Tim <laughs> Imagine Joshua Hamilton sitting down for like dinner with Tim Hedrick. He's like, so, so you you wrote episode eleven. He's like, yeah. He's like, so I'm really interested. Like, what deep intrigue into like Bossing Say's political collapse did you do? Because you know, like I I was sick that week, so you had to take the episode. So come on, <laughs> tell me about it. And Josh is just like about to dive into his food he just cuts his steak and he's like yeah i just burned the whole place and just takes a big mouthful of food his tins, like his water spilling just violent from the incredibles too just... <laughs> <laughs> yes. oh my gosh but no i do love it i 
because that's exactly what would happen let's be honest like i love that even the guards like the citizens are trying to raid and loot the you know the palace and they think that the guards are going to try to stop them when in reality the guards they know where everything is so they help them <laughs> it's like i love that like it's awful obviously but i love it well i mean on top um, of the fact that there's such a garbage power you know i don't know what you call it like a power Le- like, imbalance. imbalance thank you in bossing say like it's just absolutely horrible these people have all been serving the earth queen for god knows how long i mean mm-hmm. they're all sick of it you know oh yeah yeah i mean i would be absolutely <laughs> if i was living under that roar um or any monarchy <laughs> but uh um down with a monarchy but uh yeah no and one of my favorite shots in this episode actually is the shot of um, of the airship flying to the sky. It's mm-hmm. like late at night, but the whole city's literally burning. So there's smoke and ash and fire. And it's like, it's a real, like, obviously it's a, ha- a haunting image because it's like, oh my God, this place right. that we've known and loved, well, loved, quote unquote, um, you know, since Avatar is literally going up in, in flames. Oh my God. But it's like so pretty. <laughs> Um, it's like one of those like backgrounds that you would have on the computer i'm sorry you just convinced me to make the burning of bossing say my desktop background thank you Uh, (laughs) so um but you know come to think of it that's actually an aspect of it that i hadn't thought of until you said it bossing say is kind of the if you will it's the character that we love Mm. to hate like there's nothing oh, yeah. nothing great about bossing say, but like any <laughs> like but like a villain, like a, a character you love to hate, it's interesting, it's layered, it's mm-hmm. it's got so much character and so much color, and it's so cool. It's the rule of cool. It's like I hate this place. But I want I want to put my <laughs> fist through this whole lousy, beautiful <laughs> town. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it. And you know what it is. Like for me, literally, it is the Tatooine of the Avatar world. Like in more ways than one. First of all, it's the most recognizable and most visited place within Mm. the world of Avatar. Um, It also just happens to be in the middle of a desert, basically. It's like a, you know, the Earth Kingdom. It's in the middle of a giant desert. Right. Um, And, you know, we have characters that hail from there, like Toph and Mako and Bolin, obviously, that are main characters, much like Luke. Like, I'm not saying it's like a one-to-one, but like when I think of, because, you know, Tatooine is synonymous with Star Wars. It is the planet. Right. And that's what I think of when I think of avatars. I'm like, when I think of the first location pops into my head, Ba Sing Se. Like, yeah. right, right then and there. Well, there's even memes um, about either one. I mean, in oh, yeah. you know, for Tatooine, there's, you know, it, it, there's a bright spot in the universe around the planet that's the furthest from. Um, right. <laughs> or, or you have uh, the wretched hive. Of, no <laughs> yes, you have the, the wretched hive of scum and villainy. And for Ba Sing Se, you have. There is no war in Boxing Day. <laughs> yes. There's the, it's the yeah. most memeable location. So, you know, it, it tracks. For sure. Um, like, I understand Tymetric's obsession with it. It's very fascinating. And a character in and of itself. Um, and I love when places, I'm sorry. locations... I'm sorry. My brain went straight to, and these blast points, <laughs> too accurate for sand nomads, only the Dai Li are so precise. Oh my god. Star Wars comparisons will never end. Never. <laughs> never. Um, 
but yeah, and I, I truly do love it when a location, and I think that, you know, speaking of Star Wars, that's something that the prequels excelled at, was creating locations that all felt distinct and memorable and look different than, you know, say the prequels or the, or sorry, the originals or the sequels. Um, I think the world building in the prequels was fantastic. Right. And so I, I love that when you can do that. Um, but anyway, so Mako getting off that. Mako and Bolin saved their family. And I lo- Which I loved. I love that. <laughs> yes. That they went back for them, but also just, you know, Grandma Yin, we love her. Um, she's so devoted to like the Earth Queen and the embossing say in general that she doesn't want to leave this place because she raised her whole family here and she was probably born and lived there mm-hmm. her whole life. And <laughs> You think it's going to be like this emotional moment, like they're building it up, like it's going to be, you know, this profound moment. <laughs> she, nope, I'm not going. And he just throws her over his shoulder, bull in. And be, but wait, she has to grab the picture of the Earth Queen before they go. <laughs> I'm sorry. So like, we know where Bolin gets it now, the ridiculousness. We, we know where he gets it. He takes after Grandma Yen. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> the drama. <laughs> yes, the drama. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, so I, I really loved the whole sequence of them saving their family because, you know, I had actually almost forgotten that that's where they lived, that when they came through the mm-hmm. first time that they they found them there. Uh, so I love that they sort of wrapped up the whole thing. Um, and then the city burn, you know, so uh, so there's right. that. Um, and, and, you know, I wasn't sure at all what was going to become then... Um, moving on then to the second half of the episode, um, I wasn't sure what was going to come of the entire situation with the air nomads all being captured. You know, I didn't know if it was going to be a situation of them all just pitifully sitting there while Cora shows up, you know, bartering for their life. I didn't know if it was going to be some somebody's heroic sacrifice, maybe Tenzin's that was foolish where he tried to stand up and save them all or something like that. Mm-hmm. or actually the least anticipated one of all of them, which is what actually happened, which is that Tenzin gets up and like an absolute boss just yeets the Red Lotus. <laughs> and then there's a fight mm-hmm. while everyone gets out. And okay, yeah, sure, ultimately, like they, they, you know, it doesn't exactly save everybody. But man, does it open up for a finale. I'm so glad that they didn't just have characters roll over i love that every character Mm -hmm. in cora has so much spunk and has so much you know like fieriness right as soon as tencent's up and his throws them back i fully expected you know as i hear to be like ah there's that fiery spit of hope (laughs) (laughs) you are true airbender oh god (laughs) yeah yeah no like you know i think that that's and I think I might have mentioned this like way back when we first started Legend of Korra, but like, yeah, Tenzin physically and ability wise certainly takes after Aang, you know, being an airbender and obviously he looks like Aang, but boy, did he inherit his mother Katara's temper and fieriness. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, he puts on this facade of being like a pacifist mentor figure, but we know in reality, he's like, so angry <laughs> he is he's like cora trying to pretend she is ang like i'm gonna see you i'm gonna meditate i'm gonna learn things and peace and love i just want to put my fist through the face <laughs> exactly 
Yep. So I love seeing some of that, you know, anger and that fieriness come out when, you know, obviously his family and people are threatened. And like I said in the fun fact, just getting our first true air on air fight, you know, air v air. And it is so cool because air is obviously the most acrobatic ability or not ability, but bending uh, style. So I love seeing all these like flips and jumps up to these high places and like how you can get the high ground. Oh, no. <laughs> I've done, I've infected can... you. Now the new Star Wars references are coming out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and uh, yeah, anyway, so, but uh, it's a really cool fight because obviously Tenzin is a full-blown master and Zaheer is a novice, but like a super talented, you know, prodigy of airbending basically um but so he's able to hold his own but you clearly can see that he is outmatched when he's just one-on-one with Tenzin Mm. it's not until the the other Red Lotus members come about that Tenzin is taken off guard you know blown up a a couple times by Bali and yeah so (laughs) that's it was brutal, man. It was, it was hard to watch. I was like, I'm I'm glad that they honestly made that decision to not linger on it too much mm-hmm. because I think it would have been too gratuitous. Like, yeah, it's like we don't need to see it. Honestly, not seeing it is scarier because again, we were all like, oh my god, he died. <laughs> They're just not going to well, show it. There's you, like two <laughs> episodes ago. Making some sly comment about like oh, yeah. whether Tenzin would die or not, and so the whole time I'm there, I'm like, "Oh God, this is it. it's happening." It's just like she said; she intimated he was probably gonna die, oh and now he's gonna die. Okay. It's happening. Stay calm. It's happening. Everybody, calm down. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I was, was really trying to uh, lead you in one direction when in reality it did not end up happening, but. Thought I'd keep you in suspense, but <laughs> yes, no, I'm very glad that he didn't take the usual mentor route and get killed off or die fighting. Yeah. Like it would have been obviously very sad, but I don't know. And some people have been like, well, maybe he should have because like he his role as a mentor has been so diminished over like since season one, basically. Like he was obviously the full-blown mentor mentor figure in season one, but you know, ever since then. He's either been the punching bag in season two or just kind of like he's still a mentor figure, but not for our main character anymore. Like he's, you know, teaching the air nomads. And now it's like, well, okay, you know, maybe if he had died, it would have been more impactful or I don't know. I see both sides of the argument. I mean, I have an opinion on that. No. Mm absolutely <laughs> absolutely not okay okay <clears throat> this is not even me being like a tenzin stan <clears throat> bald bearded guys unite um this is right. this is this is just me being like in the most objective sense <clears throat> if you were going to kill tenzin off and have it be impactful kill him off in season one or two but please understand <clears throat> and don't get it twisted at all that tenzin is our stand-in ang he really is because Aang isn't here. We aren't seeing old Aang in the way we're seeing old Zuko. Mm-hmm. We have Tenzin as a stand in, and he is the airbender. He visually looks like Aang, he represents mm-hmm. Aang. And so to kill he's Tenzin. Aang's legacy. Yes, he's Aang's legacy. To kill 
Tenzin is to kill Aang on camera, basically. You're just not going. Right. You're just not going to do it. Because <laughs> you will not. You just you will not. Because because Tenzin is an emotional what 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 you refer to as an emotional anchor. If they had mm-hmm. killed him, <clears throat> it's not just a oh no, they killed Kenny. You know, it's not just a, right. it's not just a moment of shock and awe and, oh, they went there. Wow. It's it, it, objectively speaking, had they killed him and me thinking they were going to kill him, I was fully anticipating and readying myself to feel less emotionally, not more emotionally, but actually less emotionally invested in the show because you're mm-hmm. taking out somebody that I emotionally am now bonded to in the show. And it's not like, oh no, they killed my darling. How am I going to watch the show? It's literally like, well, it's it's like you're killing a legacy character. It would have been the same of them right. killing Sokka on camera or killing Katara, <laughs> you know. Not like we saw Han Solo or Luke Skywalker <laughs> die in front of our eyes. But you know, but but no, there but there but there really isn't one to one on that. You know, you watch mm-hmm. and you have to have a strong enough base of other characters to carry the story forward. Now, on that note. I will throw a bone to your side of things that there is a debate to be made about it because at this point we are at the end of season three and we do have a very pretty firm base as far as other characters, the the new characters, the new generation, if you will, with Asami. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I started with her. She's the least developed character of the last <laughs> two seasons. <laughs> and, and, you know, and Korra... I'm really not helping the argument here now, am I? I should have started with Mako and Bolin and just jumped right at the characters who've actually developed. You know what? I take it back. There is no argument to be made. We have no foundation in the new characters. This is why Tenzin couldn't die. I just proved it right then. (laughs) Right then. Yes, in real time. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, I get it. Like, and I, if I were writing the script, I certainly wouldn't have, but I was fully prepared after that to, for them to have revealed that yes he had died or right. was killed um just as a huge like shock and awe moment because there are quite a few shock and awe moments in these yeah. last three episodes for sure um and i was just thinking that his death was going to be one of them but i'm very glad that it wasn't uh i don't know if i would have been able to recover if it had mm-hmm. um, but yeah so yeah that was a really rough way to end the episode but um i'm trying to think oh because there's like a lot of little scenes that happen in between, you know, the big bossing say scene and right. then obviously the big action scenes at the temple um, with the airbenders. And one of them that I just just thought of was um, Korra talking to Zuko. Speaking of Zuko, our king. Oh, we had to save um, the best for last, obviously. <laughs> and yeah, like obviously we had to mention it because it is such a little, it's literally like a maybe not even a minute long. Mm-hmm. But Oh my gosh, this is like the second time that I've been like, that is Zuko. And that might sound weird because like, you know how sometimes when a young character like Zuko, you know, a teenager, suddenly they're a hundred years old and you're like, that doesn't feel like the same character. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, totally. When you're watching like, totally. yeah, like sequels or whatever. Um, and, you know, for the most part, I feel like they really nailed Zuko. But there are two moments in the show that we've seen now that I'm like, no, that's Zuko. That is Prince mm-hmm. Zuko from Avatar. The first one was the elevator scene. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> yes. Undebatably. Ironically, yes. When he confesses to trying to kill the Avatar before. Um, 
And then this one where it's not even in anything that he says, it's just in the look that he gives when Cora, you know, tells him that she talked to Iroh in the spirit world and he just kind of stares at her like yeah. in total shock. And I could literally see young Zuko in mm -hmm. that stare in yep. that just brief moment. I was like, oh, my baby, my prince, he's there. And it's just like, it made my heart melt. Just the implications of like that, of no, like him knowing that his uncle's in the spirit world and mm -hmm. that he is able to be visited if he wants to. Cause yeah. you know, people can just go into the spirit world now. It's no big deal. Yeah. Um, so like it's so great oh my gosh Love well and him. bearing in mind and bearing in mind the implications of all of that you know iroh doesn't look terribly older than he was in avatar you know no. i'll throw a bone and say maybe 10 years but like yeah. if it you know, on the on the long side of it but you know bearing in mind that that would mean that that had to have been about the time when iroh entered the spirit world I mean, the, mm. the, everyone looks the way they do. It's not like in Star Wars right. when you die and for some reason as a ghost you just keep getting older. Sorry. Right. You know? But, like, you know, that would imply that it's been at least 50 years, let's say around 50 years, since Zuko last ever laid eyes on Iroh. And so it mm. really is taking us back to pretty much the Zuko we saw at the end of Avatar. And it is a great... And it's little things like this. Again, props to Studio Mirror for taking the time to make sure they've drawn Zuko in a way that the look in his eyes, the shape of his eyes, the expression on his face mirrors so closely what we associate with. Again, it's the shape of the eyes. This is animation, folks. Like, you can't. Mm -hmm. You can't equate that to like, oh, look, a performer that's like watched, you know, a younger performer and now is mimicking their facial expressions. This isn't, you know, right. anything like that. It's the it's the diligence and the attention to detail, the excellent art of Studio Mir and everyone there to make sure that they made the characters, the cartoon characters face echo so closely mm -hmm. that a viewer both a seasoned viewer like you and a first time viewer like me immediately go there's Zuko. There's the Zuko mm -hmm. we know. Yeah. And not only just for his face, but also in his hairstyling and his beard, uh, echoing both Iroh and Roku, you know, this <laughs> is two descendants or not descendants, but you know, family members. Yeah. And it's just, it's a great character design. And I'll totally give that to you because I actually think that they kind of, I don't even know why we didn't talk about this way back when. It wasn't really important, but since we're talking about it now, might as well. Um, I've always had a problem with the way that they drew Aang, like adult Aang in the flashbacks. Um, because it just, it doesn't, aside from obviously the arrow and the robes, it doesn't look like Aang to me. It just doesn't. And I wanted to, obviously. Like, I want to immediately have that moment like I did with Zuko, be like, it's Aang. But I never had that moment. <laughs> so it's like, and I know that that was, that design choice was a very controversial thing when it was, when he first premiered, you know, mm -hmm. in the first season of Legend of Korra, people were like, um, I don't really like that. And I was kind of one of those people, I'm like, it just doesn't, it's not a bad design. It just doesn't look like Aang to me. Um, so yeah, all in all, <laughs> in conclusion, CDMU knocked it out of the park with Zuko. Yeah. Great. We love it. We really did. <laughs> um, yeah. But uh, 
was there any other moments in this episode? I'm trying to think back to it. Well, um, to dwell, to li- well, well, to dwell a little bit more, just a little bit longer on the Zuko thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, one of the great things about what Zuko actually says to her, since we dwell so much on just his physical appearance and expression right. during the scene. <laughs> again, Studio Mir, we love you. Mwah, so happy you're here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the great and I, and and this was why I wanted to be sure we kind of went out on this note because it's. it's I mean, it's the last we see of Zuko in season three mm-hmm. anyway. I don't know if it's for the rest of the series. Don't confirm it either way. I'm not looking at you right now. I don't trust you anymore. <laughs> You're just going to be like, yeah, he dies. I'm going to be like, no, I don't believe no! anything you say. <laughs> Liar. Liar. Have you seen that um, clip of, it was a drive-by that someone did at the Deathly, no, not Deathly House, sorry, Half-Blood Prince screening, like the midnight oh, screening. No. And he was, as people were walking to the to the door to go see the movie, he was shouting, hey, Snake kills Dumbledore. <laughs> 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 no. such a dick move, but so funny. Um, that's like that's like Homer. That. That's like Homer Simpson walking out of the theater past the lines of everybody waiting to see Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> Boy, I can't believe wow, that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. <laughs> oh, thanks, God. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love that episode. <laughs> it's amazing. But so anyway, but I but I I love that when Korra goes to Zuko, Zuko has never ever been the sage. Mm. He has tried so hard <laughs> to to you know to to emulate Iroh's wisdom mm. and failed repeatedly like somebody <laughs> reading a bite out of that silver sandwich <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i honestly would have hoped that he would have said that to cora cora just put his hand on your shoulder like the whole hey like he just like, <laughs> right. like you need to take a bite out of that silver sandwich she's like what is what is it are you talking about metal bending he's like no she's like well what are you talking about it's like i don't know you'll get it <laughs> <laughs> you got this what i'm trying to say is that you got this yes um is that i love that he instead of trying to impart wisdom and you know what? I'm going to make this a profound moment. This is my, this is my, somebody, somebody in the comments, what do they say? Uncle Micah? Didn't somebody say that in one of our Instagram comments? Uncle, more wisdom from so, Uncle Micah? Yeah. Here's my Uncle Micah. I'm just taking that. Here's my Uncle Micah comment for, for this episode. <laughs> what I love about Zuko's maturing is not that he became wiser than he was because he clearly didn't. He didn't suddenly... Mm-hmm gain some wisdom he didn't have but what he did was he stopped trying to be wise by becoming wise to himself he accepted his own shortcoming he accepted that he can't be iroh he's just Mm -hmm. zuko he's gonna be dorky zuko into his 90s like he's just himself and he doesn't try to be anything more than he is. And so when Kor goes to him for advice, all he has to say is to talk about Aang and to share his experience of, experiences with his friend, to make an earnest, honest statement about his character and what the friend that he came to know and to love would have done. Yeah. 
And that humility also in it. He didn't say, well, I've been ruler of the Fire Nation for 60 years, and here's what I've learned. He took himself entirely out of the picture, and he focused on the fact that she needed Aang. And he said, pretty much in short, I can't give you Aang, but I knew him, and you can't talk to him, but I knew him, and here's what I've seen him do. And just allowed it to inspire her. Like, no ego in it. And I love that. I love that about Zuko. Absolutely. Like, you know, one of the biggest... (laughs) We're just going on all the about Zuko. We can talk about Um, Zuko the whole... This is is the Zuko podcast. We're never actually going to get to episodes 12 and 13. (laughs) You're stuck in here with us. (laughs) I'm not stuck in here with you. You're stuck in here with me. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no. But, like, one of Zuko's defining character traits that he well i shouldn't say character traits but one of his character arcs i should say is that he was able to become humble over the three seasons you know he started as this arrogant hot-headed prince of the fire nation banished prince of the fire nation Mm -hmm. he's got serious daddy issues and i need to reclaim my honor honor (laughs) i think it's your honor (laughs) yes um and you know over the course of the three seasons and with the help of uncle iroh as his sage and guide he learned to be humble he was forced to be because he was in exile and had to live you know in many different locations and in different i don't know like rings of so like Obviously, he was a refugee in the Earth Kingdom, like Mm -hmm. bottom of the barrel. He was living in the third ring of the city. And that certainly humbled him. It opened his eyes. He got to see how destitute the people living there are. And it's because of the Fire Nation. So, like, you know, seeing him retain that humbleness that he learned from, you know, the Avatar show is just incredible. Like, he never lost it. And if anything, he's just become more humble as he's gotten older, as everyone should. You shouldn't. Mm -hmm you know, lose, you know, stuff like that, that you learn throughout life. But um, yeah, so it, it's really great to see that. It was such a great little scene and it gives me all the feels because then everybody took that one minute scene and started making like drawings of him reuniting with Iroh in the spirit world and like writing short fix stories. Oh, and I'm just like, oh my oh. God, my heart, I need it. <laughs> Like, oh man, I know that he's not the main character. He's not even a secondary character. He's literally just cameo, but like, I need it. It's so great. And, you know, and it is a great moral yeah. of the story because here you have somebody who, you know, we're introduced to in, in pride and in rage. And we come to find out that even now here, his whole life has been a story of humility and that his story of humility mm-hmm. didn't end with him humbly taking the throne at the end of Avatar, The Last Airbender, but continued on as generations after him have now taken the throne and his journey of humility has still continued. It's great. But to see character mm-hmm. growth, that because that's what really makes a character dynamic is when you see that jump in time, they aren't the same person that you saw last time, just old and gray. They have continued right. the path and that's and that's great. What We love to see it. <laughs> Which is hilarious because I cannot wait for you. You already know that Toph is alive and is yes. going to be in season four. 
I cannot wait for you to meet Toph again. <laughs> it's it's I, the most perfect. You know, like... it's funny too. And again, like the, I think it was one of the only things that I knew about Legend of Korra when we were like, because I, I remember telling you at the very start, I'm like I know even less about Korra than I knew about mm-hmm. Avatar. I knew there's a girl named Korra that she's the she's the main character, and I know that Toph is back. And I only knew <laughs> who Toph was to know that I knew Toph was back after watching Avatar The Last Airbender. Right. Like, I was like, who's this old lady wearing green and like this girl named Korra? And that's it. They're the only two characters I knew. Um, yep. <laughs> so really funny, um, before I watched the show um, and knew who these characters were in relation to each other, you're, uh-huh. you're going to laugh. I, before I knew anything, I was like, Okay, so there's Cora and the this old woman who uh, that's like clearly her mother or her grandma. I don't know. I, the show seems weird to me. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't know at all. Um, that's so funny. Yeah, no, it's also funny. In a real quick statement, also, uh, I'm kind of surprised that it took this long to for Toff that very because you know, we got to the end of season three. No Toff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm kind of shocked in hindsight because I knew Toph was coming and I was actually thinking that like latest she was going to be introduced at the start of season three. Mm-hmm. I actually fully yeah. expected to have seen her by now. I gave up after the last couple of episodes, <laughs> like by episode like maybe nine. I was like, okay, Toph's not going to show up even if it's like a cameo. We got Zuko, no Toph. <laughs> She just shows up at the very last episode of season three. And she just, just totally just kills totals a just, pa- just pancakes the whole Red Lotus in yeah. a mountain. It's yep. like it's she like was. it's like it's like she's waiting. Another Star Wars reference. It's like Toph waiting, reading the script. I was like, and the lava comes pouring toward them, and all of a sudden, the per- <laughs> it's like and, and holding their hands out to stop the lava is. Bolin, and she just throws the script away. It's like, what about me? That would have been the perfect moment for me to enter. I, okay, this isn't in part of the fun facts or anything for the next episode, but I could have sworn that I either heard or read somewhere that that almost was in the script. Like, that that was an idea that had been tossed around that she actually would show up. You mean tossed around? Like, the second. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That uh, she would show up. And save, you know, Bolin, Mako, Sami, and Tenzin in their, like, you know, dire moment. And it just obviously never came to pass. We're off in the next next episode. We need to rate this one and jump in because we're already into the next episode. We're in lava bending land. All right. This episode, this episode is great. I got to tell you, like, the pacing, everything, the drama, the whole what's going to happen to them. uh, The episode was seriously, seriously top notch. I'm going to go higher than the IMDb. This episode was a straight 9.5 for me. Ooh, interesting. I, lo- I really loved it. Like the the variety in the, in the start of the episode, the quick wrap up that brought everybody in and established the mm. situation right away. The uh, uh, reuniting there one more time of Korra and Zuko, you know, to, to give us that Zuko moment we love. And then all the fighting in the end of the episode that was so dynamic and for me so unexpected. Again, anytime a story can surprise me with me being like, yeah, you know what? These two things will probably happen. And they go, nope, number three is what happens. <laughs> Props to them. Extra points, 9.5. Awesome. Um, I'm actually going to agree with the IMDb rating on this one. 
it's it's great one of the best of the you know of of the season but i do feel that the next two are better um and i think that if there had been just a little bit of a more like i think the pacing is good but since it is such like a dire situation i kind of wish that it was even more fast-paced to just kind of reflect how dire the situation was um but aside from that besides from the pacing i wish it was a little bit faster i think it's a really good episode um yeah i mean i love build up like i said i love the before the storm <laughs> like mm-hmm. you know so uh in the storm oh boy it's coming so Definitely. Uh, yeah i'll give it a 9.3 out of 10. nice well that brings us to episode 12 enter the void uh, the episode is written by Michael Dante DiMartino. <laughs> I love that you just always get that look on your face <laughs> you see his name now. <laughs> no, this one's great. This one's good. Uh, <laughs> directed by uh, directed by Ian Graham. Animated beautifully by Studio Mir. The episode aired August 22nd, 2014. And the IMDb rating of Enter the Void is a colossal 9.4 out of 10. Take us away mm-hmm. with some fun facts, Amanda. All right. We got three of them and they're kind of longer, but I thought that they were all very, very interesting. So for our first fun fact... The action scene when Korra fights Zaheer while shackled emulates the choreography of action films starring Jackie Chan or Jet Li, where sequences were built around the limitation hindering a character's ability to fight. As somebody who's like a big aficionado (laughs) on martial arts movies, and I love Jackie Chan movies. I used to watch tons Mm -hmm. of Jackie Chan when I was younger, and a lot of Jet Li movies too. Still love that really cheesy one, The One. It's (laughs) I haven't watched it in like what's it been probably 15 years at least 10, 20 years since that movie came out and i like i want to go back and watch it now after watching this <laughs> i cannot say that i have i don't think i've seen like i'm not even kidding the only like jackie chan movie i've never seen a jet lee movie that i know of but the only jackie chan movie that i've seen and remember is the karate kiss <laughs> oh my god and i actually no no, no. listen <laughs> I actually really like the Karate Kid reboot. Oh yeah, um, no, no, no! I'm not, I'm not bashing the reboot. I think what anybody <laughs> wants to think about the reboot, I'm bashing the fact that you haven't seen a Jackie Chan movie other than like uh, a yeah. movie that's come out in the last like seven years. <laughs> oh, it was much longer than that. But oh, yeah, no, please, don't put me in a don't put me in a post COVID time warp again. I'm sure it was probably twelve years ago or something, and I just don't know. Yeah, it was like 2010, 2011, I think something like that. It was quite a while. We're getting old. Um, <laughs> I charge you to watch Jackie Chan First Strike the for, the, the the soonest possible <laughs> at your earliest convenience. Uh, yes, please and thank you. But yeah, I I mean, even though I haven't seen, you know, any major Jackie Chan or Jet Li movies, like one of my favorite scenes in this episode was the fight between Zaheer, Korra, and Tonrock when she's all shackled up because they had to get so creative with the bending, like, and the teamwork, like the, the tag teaming that they were doing, it was so good. I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. I was like, mm-hmm. literally like jumping up and down my chair, like, oh, this is so cool. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I, I will need to check out some Jackie Chan movies, apparently. Send me a list. I will. 
And then for our second fun fact, Zaheer meditating in a subterranean cave while levitating in midair was a callback to a piece of concept art that Brian Konitzko had drawn of Aang. Similarly, that's a hard word, similarly, meditating while floating in an ice cave during the preliminary development of Avatar The Last Airbender. I've seen that piece of artwork because it was in the art of... I think it was called the like art of avatar or something mm -hmm. like that. I have the book of like all the sketches that they did before they settled on the ultimate, you know, designs and everything. And I've seen that. I, I, art I, I cool. love that you own the art book of avatar. The last year. Ben. <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> of course I do. I love me some art books of my favorite movies and shows. <laughs> really? I didn't um, know this about you. Yeah. Oh my God. I have so many just gigantic heavy ass books. <laughs> of like art of tangled art of like oh my oh god, god. how did i not know, how did i not know this about you until now i have like so <laughs> many art books of like disney movies i i must have like eight different art of like various star wars movies mm -hmm. as well yeah oh my gosh that's so like funny all film people have like at least one or two art of books of their favorite like movies we own a soundtrack a of a we own a soundtrack of a favorite movie like on some yep. sort of you know okay real quick real, real quick <laughs> yes aside because i have to i'm sorry i learn more about this girl every single time so like this moment what is what is a soundtrack that you own and if you don't i'll forgive you but i'm so curious because i want to tap this and see if there's something in this well is what's a what's a non-vocal like no sung lyrics mm -hmm. soundtrack a purely instrumental soundtrack of a film yeah. that you own oh my god so many like what? <laughs> half of what i have on my iphone not ipod my phone what yeah, no oh my god uh, let's see, How to Train Your Dragon, pretty much all the Star Wars, especially the prequel music. Um, let's see, uh, I have, funnily enough, Tangled, the whole soundtrack of Tangled, Beauty and the Beast, um, oh gosh, I, literally, there's so many, I can't even think but of them. But not like the now. songs from the movies, no, no, like I'm the talking actual about, soundtrack. Like, the instrumentals, the score, like that's, yeah, because... Yeah, no, I literally my my playlist consists of Broadway, Disney, instrument like movie scores, um, and like eighties, two thousands. Like that's that's all I have on my I, on my music playlist. You should know that we have never been closer friends than we are this moment. <laughs> Do we just become best friends again? Yep. Yep. Yeah, no, our I friendship love... has been renewed for another five years. Oh, another one that I have on my phone, and I just literally my dad and my sister and I just rewatched this movie yesterday because it's one of our favorites. Peter Pan from two thousand three, one of the best scores ever. If you have not watched that movie or listened to that score, oh gosh, I cannot tell you how highly we view that movie and that score in this household. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot we were doing fun fact. Oh, that's right, darn it! Yeah, yeah, you were at two. Yeah. Oh darn. <laughs> All right, so number two. Oh, wait, no, we already did number two. Oh, my gosh, guys. Wow, we are... Whoosh, I didn't mean to get you all flustered there with soundtrack talk. <laughs> I know. I was like, okay, we're good. Number three. When Zaheer says, I found true freedom, I am no longer bound to the earth by worldly desires. I have entered the void. He is making a reference to the seventh chakra, the chakra that Aang could not unlock due to his love to, uh, for Katara. After Pali's death, Zaheer lost his only earthly attachment and unlocked the chakra. 
So very cool. really nice callback to, yeah, to obviously Avatar and that being a huge roadblock for Aang in, you know, getting into the Avatar state, you know, basically on a whim, like without any trouble. Um, and yeah, so I guess that we can just lead right into the episode with that because... Yeah, this is a huge action episode, <laughs> like action set piece after action set piece. So yeah. what do you think of the episode? Oh, gosh. Well, th- I mean, the setup the setup for the episode is just kind of a follow-up on the last one. I mean, they need to free the airbenders, and now Zaheer has them because at the end of the episode, he whooped everybody, and now he sets right. up this deal with Katara that she's going to meet in <laughs> on the top of... Katara. The what? You said Katara. Oh, sorry, Cora. He's gonna he's gonna meet he's gonna meet Cora on the top of the mountain, which already should have been a huge red flag that like it's not gonna be a fair trade. It's like instead of meeting where I'm gonna exchange everything, let's meet like way over here, like really, really, yeah. really far away. Um, yeah. So so giant red flag there, um, and. In short, the entire thing falls apart. I mean, that's basically the plot of the episode. The plot of the episode mm-hmm. is they set up a plan where Cora is going to sh- show up and she's going to make like she's going to give herself over to them. And that mm-hmm. instead, uh, you know, her father and Lynn and all the metal bending police are there with them. Um, and they're going to intervene when the airbenders have been secured so that they can save Korra um, mm. and make out like bandits, basically. Um, very unethical. You know, really, it, it, karma, you know, swung the correct way here because, you know, you don't just cheat the Red Lotus and get away with it. But um, <laughs> in the meantime, Mako and Bolin and Asami. Was she with them? Yeah. They go to the Northern Air Temple where supposedly they're going to get all of the airbenders back. And I got to tell you, I loved the moment that kind of like the ringing of the bell moment mm-hmm. when uh, they are looking and you know, Tencent's chained to the ground and all of the airbenders are there with weird mm-hmm. creepy like hoods over their heads and everything. And I didn't know what in the world was going to happen. And again, and when they hit me with something I don't expect, I'm like, oh, and like it's all just water in the robes holding it up and it melts out. And I'm like, very clever, very inventive. Yeah, you got me. You got me with that one. Got him. Yep, no, that that was a huge like, oh shit moment. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I remember Rachel and I watching it and we were like, oh my god, like we did not see that coming at all um and it was such a great reveal and it just immediately upped because you're you don't know where the airbenders are like are they dead like where where actually are they now it turns out that obviously they're far away but um yeah it was like really suspenseful and so yeah i guess which because those are basically the two stories of the episode which one did you want to talk about first (laughs) i mean you take your pick ladies choice Okay, well, since we're on it. Um, yeah, so uh oh my gosh. It was it was uh Bolin, Mako, Asami. Wait, am I thinking again? <laughs> am I thinking of the wrong one? Um oh my gosh. What? Hold up. <laughs> I'm gonna figure this out. 
because I'm trying again, all of these episodes are running together. So I'm trying to keep it straight. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Okay. It is just them. I was thinking yeah. that it was Kaya and Boomy. But no, you know what? I don't know where Asami was, come to think of it, because I don't think she was with them. It was just Mako and Balloon with Tenzin, wasn't it? No, because Asami was the one that used the hairpin, remember, to, like, oh, to unlock this and that, free of the shackles. That's right. Don't you love how Asami is there, just a glorified lock picker? Like, they're really not giving the girl much to do. You said how the show did her dirty, and they just keep doing it over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, they... They do, in a way, rectify that in season four, but yeah, anyway. I mean, they could they have kicked dirt in her face any more than they did when, like, uh, Mako and Bolin's grandma, Grandma uh, Yin, shows up, and she's just like, Mako, why aren't you dating either one of these nice girls? And he's like, oh! And then she, like, uh, mistakes Asami for, the, for Korra at first. He must be Korra. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so... Yeah. <laughs> so anyway... Wow, that was that was a really long. Anyway, so they're trying to get away, and Gazan is basically destroying the entire temple using his lava bending. He's just which melting. Just it. Always looks. Yeah, no, he's literally just the walls, the floor, everything. He's destroying the entire temple. And it looks really cool. Um, and so Mako Bolin, Asami, and Tenzin are trying to escape through you know an earth passage that mm-hmm. Bolin makes. And as they're going, you know, the lava is getting closer, it's getting hotter, and they don't think they're going to make it. Um, and so Bolin does, he gets his own little heroic fan uh, fanfare, there we go. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he basically just kind of throws himself into an earthbending move to try and stop the earth, or the lava. And turns out, he's a lava bender. It works. Did you see, did you see that coming, or was that like... I that I saw coming, that I saw okay, coming because well we I thought they were going to escape in the instant when it was coming through and they were cornered I was like what's going to happen here and then he turns around and I'm like okay that that was the thing I was like that there it was so I didn't see it coming like a long way away but like I saw it coming within like thirty seconds I was like what if he yeah, what but what if he lava bends because they already teased that he was trying to metal bend so they gotta mm-hmm. like reward the character in some way oh yeah and i mean i think it makes total sense and yeah. i love that bolin is a lava bender because it makes sense given his earth and fire nation heritage right. like if anybody outside of gazan was going to be one it would be him right um but i do wish that they hadn't telegraphed it it's not like they were like doing it so obviously but like you said the minute he turns you're like oh here we go this is when he's going to be revealed to be a lava bender i really wish that they had staged it differently so that it was like a literal spur of the moment like he turns and he throws his hands out it's not like he does the heroic like i'm gonna do this i'm gonna sacrifice myself and we all know like okay obviously he's not gonna die um so you know something's gotta happen and then he very quickly put together he's gonna lava bend but if it had literally just been like the lava is creeping up super fast on them and he's the one in the back of the line. So he just immediately turns around and maybe when trying to earth bend, he ends up inadvertently lava bending mm-hmm. and he's just in total shock. And he's like, what just happened? Yeah. Like, And that I feel like that would have felt more like surprising and natural than yeah. how they stage it. It's not bad, but no, it is. It was, like it, was said, it. it was cool. But yeah, I totally, yeah. totally agree. Yeah, um, but they managed to get out, and Kai, who wait, wait, and wasn't, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't that the moment that you said when Toph was supposed to like come in and save them? 
yeah yeah that that moment i don't i don't obviously she wouldn't have lava bent but she would have been the one to get if anyone was gonna lava bend though it would have been Toph. i mean Toph (laughs) wouldn't have even done Toph would have just like opened the entire mountain like like, just just ripped it open and just let all the lava drain down and then like closed it back up again because she's like an actual (laughs) god you know (laughs) makwin bolin would be there huh if she had lava bending, she would actually be. She's already OP, but she would actually be like god level OP. Yeah, like, <laughs> like well, she wouldn't be able to handle it. She would have saved them, and Maka, but Maka would have gone and be like, "We should be dead right now." It's like, yeah, <laughs> this was divine <laughs> intervention. You know what divine intervention is, Bolin? I think so. You're trying to sell, tell me that Toph came down from heaven and stopped the lava? That's exactly what I'm trying to say. Toph came down from heaven and stopped that lava. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, so they end up getting saved by Kai, who we didn't even mention, but Kai, in the previous episode, got blown out of the sky when trying to save you know the other airbenders so that they could escape. Um, so he's fine. <laughs> well oh no anyway (laughs) that was literally my reaction when he fell i was like oh no anyway okay here's the thing too i was hoping foreshadowing i was hoping Mm -hmm. that when they were all like oh no the the combustion woman's up there in the airship and she's just thinking death upon us though every minute and like we need to stop her and kai was like gotta go up there i thought that it was gonna rally all the airbenders and that they were gonna like swirl up the air and like crash the blimp or so something maybe they would kill her but like mm. they would foil her in some her way yeah. or bring it down you know what i mean and that, that was going to be their uniting moment again foreshadowing <laughs> but like exactly <laughs> the way she dies is so gnarly though it's so good it's so yeah, it's mind-blowing so good <laughs> It's so good because like I'm skipping right to that. Like Cora was Cora fights everybody that's in with her feet, and that's cool. But so like, but but (laughs) Sue and Lynn are pinned down, and I love I love this moment because Lynn is like, oh, I'll draw her fire, and you can like get a shot at her, and so Lynn is like bolting across the rocks and you know she's she and, and please is shooting at her and she finally gets a good shot at her and she, she's lying there and i love how it happens she's gonna mm-hmm. finish her off and sue sends not like a line because she doesn't have like the cord things like 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 mm-hmm. lynn has she sends the armor out her own armor right is it her armor yeah yeah, it's her like breastplate or whatever. Yes. And it it's so perfectly done of the combustion like about to ignite off of her forehead and it closes around her head and all you see is like the flash for a split mm-hmm. second in the seam of the armor where it closes shut around her head. And then that's it. Mm-hmm. And you just hear it from far away as the hear turns and sees the smoking spot on the ground where plea was standing just completely disintegrated <laughs> yeah yeah i love it that was uh yeah it's really like it's a mind-blowing <laughs> it was it was for sure and uh yeah no it was a very very cool moment um and that that moment was all... really head and shoulders above the rest 
of the villain deaths in the series for sure. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Going down. Um, but yeah, so while that's all happening, uh, we've got Korra and Tonrock, her dad, versus Zaheer, like I said, kind of tag teaming him. And like I said, it is just so cool to see two waterbenders versus an airbender. Right. And it's a father-daughter duo. And you know, obviously, like, you know, in one moment, Cora gets knocked off the cliff and her dad has to save her and like launches her back up onto the rocks. And, and, you know, she, one of my favorite moments in the whole fight is when um, Tonrock, he gets Zaheer. You think that he's going to trip him up, but no, because Zaheer's an airbender. He's very nimble and agile, but Cora manages to cut him off and make him trip. You know, and it's just like the teamwork. Mm-hmm. I did not describe that very well, but anyway, the teamwork. I was right there following along. It. So, <laughs> yes, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Um, and you know the beautiful shot of Tonrock. He's got this giant ice dagger on yeah. his hand, and he does the slow motion Zack Snyder. <laughs> like he he crushes it on the rock, and it all he's like flying through the air. And I'm like, he's got to do a superhero landing. Superhero landing. Woo. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then he gets, like, launched off the mountain by Zaheer, and, you know, again, it's one of those, like, we know he's not dead, so it's not that big of a deal, but it's like, but, uh, yeah, and then Cora gets super pissed, because she thinks her dad just died, but, you know, she's still she's still shackled, she's still chained up, and uh, Zaheer manages to get the upper hand on her, and, yeah, so she gets taken by him, but before you know, before she gets taken, the airship that they were going to, you know, bring Korra on gets, you know, whatever, it flies off. And so they're kind of stuck on this giant boulder, this giant rock, whatever, precipice. And, you know, Lynn and Sue are there. They're like, you know, you got nowhere to go. Dead or alive, you're coming with me. (laughs) So because of police death, you know, just moments earlier, Zaheer, like we said in the fun facts, he unlocks the seventh chakra and he's able to basically unlock the ability, this ancient ability that we've never seen any other airbender do, of flight. Yep. Now this was like very, not controversial, that makes it sound like it was a big deal, but this was like very divisive amongst fans of Legend of Korra, Avatar, whatever. Um, For me, I'm like, well, actually, no, I want to know what you think first and then I'll I'll say (laughs) Oh, for the record, I think it's awesome. I think it was so good. Really? I like it because what it did was thematically harked to um, what am I trying to say? There's two moments in film that I want to that I want to talk about, and and I'm forgetting the name of of the one. Uh, what's the what's that movie with the kids who all get uh, psychic like telekinetic powers? Stranger Things. <laughs> no, it's it's not Stranger Things. It's, chron- Stranger it's, it's Chronicle. It's Chronicle. Oh. They all. I thought that only Dane DeHaan had. had um, like, n- no, no. All three of the of the kids get telekinetic powers after touching the crystal. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, incidentally, um, Michael B. Jordan is in that. I didn't realize that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that was a that was a long time ago. It was a long. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, anyway, um, it reminded me a lot of Chronicle. It was this moment of like, oh, shoot, they've got that power and just the, the, the freedom that sort of there's something weird and like strange haunting about seeing a human being in flight 
And this isn't like mm. a, oh, he's like super manning through the air. He's just like, just like weightless. Yeah, just, he's just like floating. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's ominous. It's ominous. And I didn't even see it so much as like, it's an airbending ability, but it's a kind of a, it's that spiritual, it's, there's no effort involved in it. It's almost like, it, mm. it's psychic. He doesn't have to bend in order to move the air. It's a psychic ability. Right. And so the unlocking of the chakra, he no longer needs to be making bending movements. He just controls himself through the air. The air as it will, as it is, like bears him up. It doesn't need to be a windstorm right. doing it. I thought it was very cool. I thought it was very effective. And the other movie it reminded me of was uh, that moment in Man of Steel when Zod, through sheer force of will, like with no training whatsoever, just like disciplines himself into be able, being able to fly like like Kal-El can. And he mm-hmm. pretty much is just like, I have spent my entire life honing my abilities, disciplining my mind. He's like, where did you learn to fight on a farm? And he just like to demonstrate his sheer power of mental will, wills himself into flight, having no idea how to do it before. No mm-hmm. practice. And both of those are such huge monumental like images in cinema that I thought that it was so well done. It wasn't cheesy, it wasn't contrived, they had every justification for it. I'm all good. Yeah, and you know what's funny? Like I was seeing people getting really like, I basically agree with everything you just said. Um, And I saw a lot of people, even people today that are watching the show for the first time. um, They're being like that. It's what is it that they say? They say, well, first of all, like it's, that's ridiculous. We've never seen, you know, an airbender do that before. That's just yet another thing that they pulled out of their ass to like, you know, expand, make these characters more OP, whatever, which is stupid because for me i was like how have we never seen someone do this before like i literally thought that i was like i i didn't even realize it until it happened and i was like wait that's right we haven't seen anyone just like actually fly we've seen them glide on their gliders we've seen them lift themselves with the air you know what a weird gripe from a fandom that cheers for flame shooting out of the soles of people's feet so they can just like (laughs) rocket themselves through the air that's okay but like oh imagine (laughs) airbenders being able to fly it's stupid i know i that's that was my thing i'm like they probably should have done this early (laughs) or like maybe when ang you know, fighting Ozai, that would have been a moment that I've been like, wow, that would have been so cool if he was just flying. Like, he didn't need this. Well, and he basically was. I mean, sure, he (laughs) was in a cyclone, like a vortex of all four elements. He was basically hovering through the air. I mean... Mm -hmm. Being a little badass. little murder machine. (laughs) Right. I mean, and, and on that note, that wouldn't have been as impressive because that what you were going for in that moment is the thunderous power of the avatar. What we're going for in right. this moment is somebody who has, uh, is again, literally unbound. He's unlightened. He's yeah. unbound. And what is more terrifying than a villain who has nothing to lose? Exactly. I was going to say that. Damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, right. just, it's you, just, you got it. It's, so. ju- it's just us, you know, it's, we got that, that mental link going on. <laughs> Why is yes, why is the podcast <laughs> connecting us like this? <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, no, so it's a really cool cliffhanger seeing something that we've never seen like that before. Um, and yeah, just all around really, really strong uh, action, really strong stakes. Like this is the pacing I was wanting in the in the previous episode. Like this mm-hmm. just immediate I know that it's the building, but like 
even when you're building up to something, you need that sense of like tension and stress and like, oh my gosh, we, we got to get this going. Like, yep. um, but for this one, it was just nonstop. Like it, it's so good. The pacing and the action is incredible. The animation, just everything. Um, yeah. I do wish that some of the more, this is really my only gripe with the episode, uh, unless we had anything else to, to say about it. Um, okay, good. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so my only gripe with this episode is that I wish that the emotional moments, like there weren't really a lot, but there were a couple that could be considered emotional moments, like Ton Rock, you know, being thrown off the cliff mm-hmm. and dying, quote unquote. Right. Um, I wish that those hit a little harder and mm-hmm. were given a little more time to like kind of sink in. Right. You know, so Ton Rock being one and then Please Death being another, because that's kind of the turning point for Zaheer into going OP mode. <laughs> so right. like I I mean it's very well done, obviously. The actual right. death itself is very gnarly and cool, but I wish that his reaction was just a yeah. hair long. Because well, because well and I I second that because you know he just he reacts in the moment but it is so short and then later i honestly was kind of like this guy doesn't exactly seem broken up about it and they're like because he's just standing there floating in the air he's like oh yeah well it just so happens that i unlocked the seventh chakra and and now i don't care it's like well (laughs) that's very convenient He literally is the meme. Oh no, how sad. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) He was so sudden. I was like, oh, okay. I mean, that's just your girlfriend that you, you know, have been think I mean literally separated from for 13 years or whatever it was. Yeah, and not a day went by that I didn't think about you in that prison. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I mean, I believed you up until that point. Please please dead. uh, Yes, yes, very sad. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, little. But uh, I mean, those are yeah. just little quibbles with the episode. So I'm not going to make you mad because this isn't like a, a giant thing. But I, mm-hmm. where you are, like, oh, and I love this episode. This is what I wish the last episode had done. I actually like this episode a little less than the last one because I prefer, just personally, I prefer for a story to have more variation in the tempo. And when this episode mm-hmm. got into full swing, it was very the same tempo for a very long time. And it's not as if it was tiresome. It was great. But after a while, I was just like, this. there's a lot of dimensions to this fight. And I like when the fight feels more personal. And when it, and like, I get it. But it was, it was just, it was great. But it was so yeah. much of a battle royale among so many characters that, I did feel like there wasn't enough punch and enough time given to some things because we had to hurry up and get back to Mako and Bolin fighting. And then we also had to go back to Tanrock and Korra fighting. And then we also had to get to Sue and Lin fighting. And then we also had to get to the airbender. And, and like, it just, mm-hmm. it just, it was just a lot. Not a problem. Super well done. But because of that, this episode just gets a hair off of it. And I'm actually going to agree with the IMDb and, I rate this a 9.4 out of 10. Yeah, that's totally valid. Like when you have every, literally every scene firing on all cylinders, like, yeah, it, it doesn't have the same kind of punch as if you had the scenes broken up by, you know, less intense, you know, but I, like I said, because of how I felt about the previous episode, I was glad that this was just nonstop, like, you know, high stakes, 
high action, high, you know, everything. Yes. Everything was high, including, you know, you're up in those clouds. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, so I I love this episode. Um, this is definitely, this and the finale of this season are two that I watch all the time just together. Um, I would go, um, I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10. Um, just that 0.5 is just for the emotional moments, not hitting as hard as I feel like they should have. But everything else, 10 out of 10. Um, So, yeah, 9.5 out of 10 I feel like is pretty good. I feel like you and I reading the episodes in all fairness is not even so much a differing of opinions quite so much. It's more of a differing of perspectives, just as a real brief Mm -hmm. note. Because I'm taking the episodes as, like, if I was watching this episode alone and this episode alone. But, like, I 100% agree with you that, like, the last episode, episode 11, is a great ramp to jump off of and then soar for a while and when you're watching them all together totally tracks that you have an episode that's a build-up and then you've got the big long action sequence in this one again i I feel like it's more like that for you whereas i try to like really segment them and be like if i was watching this episode by itself and it's all i was watching you know how would i rate it oh yeah absolutely but this brings us to the finale episode 13 venom of the red lotus such a cool name (laughs) i know it's so good uh the episode is written by that dynamic duo that have been carrying us all the way through season three joshua hamilton and tim hedrick i told you they were getting together for lunch (laughs) (laughs) yes oh my gosh these two like tim hedrick specifically because he's an og all the way from avatar like joshua hamilton is too but tim hedrick he was one of the lead writers for Mm -hmm. avatar and so I feel like out of all the writers, aside from obviously the creators themselves, he is the most entrenched in this world and he knows it the best. And so when he writes, I just, his episodes are nine times out of 10. They are like the highlights of the seasons for me for Korra. Um, So I was so happy to see him write this one because I absolutely love this episode. But anyway. Yeah. No, yeah, no. I I mean, especially, I mean, especially because I don't know who continues writing into season four, like a huge tip of the hat to where they've taken us here and the success of these two bring about that change in season three, that that, all that change we were talking about, like it's happened (laughs) mostly and mostly, you know, thanks to these two. So uh, the episode is directed by Mel Zwire, animated magnificently. And I got to tell you, they really pulled all the stops out on this one. Like the animation mm-hmm. on, for the finale here, Studio Mirror, perfection, like top notch. Mm-hmm. And this was on a reduced budget. Like, wild. they were just <laughs> literally, they were like, you know what? Let them cook. <laughs> they just had, they just brought in their one best animator and like set him up. They were like massaging his shoulders. They were bringing him like lobster dinners. They were just like, all right, whatever you need, just keep on doing what you're doing. It's all good. Like, the animator yeah. unlocked the seventh chakra. <laughs> <laughs> he has no earthly tethers anymore. He is an animation god. <laughs> And the IMDb rating of Venom of the Red Lotus is, of course, an earth-shattering 9.6 out of 10. Take us away with those fun facts, Amanda. All right. We've got three for this one. And this first fun fact is very short. This is the 100th episode of the Avatar franchise. Like, in both Avatar and Legend of Korra, 100th episode. And man, what a 100th episode. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. And then I was like doing the math in my head very badly, but still. 
And I was like, okay, so there's like about 60 episodes of Avatar. Mm -hmm. And then we had reduced season, you know, reduced number of episodes for each season of Korra. So yeah, that actually does even out to be about 100. That's crazy. Um, (laughs) But uh, our second fun fact is that the close-up shot of Korra's face as she hallucinates her fallen enemies originally had her irises visibly shaking. This was changed after Nickelodeon executives and members of the production crew found the moment too disturbing. That's That's where they drew the line. That sounded like a little REM to really push it past the censors on that one. Oh, boy. Yeah. 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 Let's not blow up somebody's head or like literally strangle a woman (laughs) using air magic on camera. Sure. Let's Mm. just have a little REM be too intense. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, I understand. Oh yeah, no, and we're gonna talk a lot about all of that scene because that it's a lot. <laughs> and then our third and final fun fact is that the series composer Jeremy Zuckerman, respect King, you are the best, wanted there to n- yeah wanted there to not be any music during Korra and Asami's scene on Air Temple Island in order to reflect the heavy quiet of the tragedy and violence the former went through. Yeah, yeah that was a good call there. <laughs> yeah, because. <laughs> uh, it sometimes you know what silence is the best music like not having music informs a scene just as much as having it and i think that that was the right scene or not scene the right choice to not have music in that scene and save the big music piece for the very end of the episode which we're i am gonna go on a giant tangent about that but we'll get to that okay well yeah so so bringing us into this you know we're gonna kind of recap what we didn't cover in the last episode or at least not mention which is mm-hmm. where Cora ends up at the very end which is where she begins here she is chained by the white by the red lotus the red lotus has got her chained to their evil evil villain hideout um mm-hmm. with green crystals all over the place very very cool and the huge red lotus logo on the wall and they've just got her shackled with platinum chains <laughs> yep (laughs) you've got to get used no listen you are going to lose your goddamn mind if you don't get used to the platinum because it is everywhere in season four oh i figured i i love how they introduce her being a metal bender only to then immediately thwart her like every way possible (laughs) we gave her this power now we can't take it back so Mm -hmm. what do we do now so like okay all right Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> you know, so, uh, yeah, alrighty then. Um, and the whole, their entire plan is to poison her and in poisoning her, the poison will draw out of her, the Hulk, excuse me, the avatar state. <laughs> yes. And then while she's in the avatar state, They'll they'll kill her. I'm laughing for a very specific reason about this. <laughs> They're gonna kill her. <laughs> hey Cora, we're gonna kill you. And and as soon as they die, then it will break the cycle of the avatars, and there will be avatars no more. Uh so first of all, who let out the secret of the avatar? <laughs> like who told them this so that they would know to do this? You know, I I mean, I'm assuming it's just plot convenience, but 
if I had to like write a canon excuse as to how it's they probably know soccer. that. <laughs> No, no, my boy would never. Um, no, he talks too I have much. a feeling that it was probably Unalak. Because remember, like he okay, only... all right, and he was a member of yeah. the Red Lotus. Okay, that that is that does. And he explain. went all dark but, out you know of what? himself. You know what? You threw away the whole thing at the beginning of like, oh, why do they make Unalak member of the Red Lotus? It's so dumb. It doesn't serve any purpose. Like they just kind of <laughs> added it in just to to try to explain things in season two and make it relevant. Ugh. And now all of a sudden, well, see, you're, now you're eating your words. That's the only real explanation. This is me trying to make it work and being like, oh, well, it gives them some form of story relevance, but no. No, wait, wait, wait. Honestly, I didn't. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I never even really thought that, like, like, obviously, the Avatar, there's a lot of, you know, things that come with being the Avatar, right. the Avatar State being one of them. And I never really thought that the Avatar State and, like, if you died in it, in the Avatar State that you would not, like, the Avatar Cycle would not reincarnate. Because that's exactly what Azula did, remember, when she shot Aang and, like, the after cycle was broken temporarily. Like, so I just kind of thought it was common knowledge. Like, I never even thought, like, how would they know that? Because, <laughs> like, the Avatar has how been around for, you know, thousands they're not of gonna, years. They're not so. going to know. How would so they how know? How would they know? <laughs> <laughs> they're going to know. So <laughs> okay. Yeah. But, okay. But I thought it would have been hilarious if they would have been, like... And then we'll kill her in the Avatar state. And then when she when she dies in the Avatar state, all of the previous lives of the Avatar will be erased forever. And she'll just be like, guys, that already happened. And they'll be like, wait, what? Yeah, that that, that already happened. I got separated. We already, already did that. He separated me from temporarily from it. All the other Avatars died. And they'd be like, oh, so we did all this for nothing? And they would be like, do you know how much these platinum chains cost? We had to you know how much this poison we had cost? to buy this from like Vera Corporation, yet they charged us so much money for it. <laughs> Literally, that would have been embarrassing. Um Vera just sitting spending that red lotus money. <laughs> God, he would. We love him. Just a quick um, shot of him just gambling with all their money and then just back to the cave. Oh my god. Put um, all my money on red. All my chips on red. Dooley, do the thing. Just, she just spins the wheel. We're trying to make this super dark scene super light. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, that's that's the whole explanation as to why they're doing what they're doing. They want to get Korra into the Avatar state to kill her and end the cycle permanently so that she can't reincarnate. Um, and, yeah, it's so brutal. Like, this poison is, I'm guessing, some kind of like metallic mercury. It's type got, deal. it's got to be mercury because it's a. In the end, when they bend it out of her later, it's a liquid metal, which is okay. kind of weird because they don't explain it. I mean, they they don't say. Like, did I, they say it up front? Did I miss a line of dialogue? Because then later on, um, I can't remember who says it. That the, oh, it was Janora because she spied on yeah. them. Did she hear them say it was metal? Well, no. I think that because she's seeing the metal bender like bending it onto Korra, I think that I she thought could it just was, infer. I thought it was liquid. I thought it was <laughs> like the blood bending or the ink bending or anything. I thought it was just poison bending. I thought it was no. liquid. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was metal. I I never once thought it was metal. 
until the very end they're like oh it's made of metal i'm like what are you talking about kid what are you what are you talking about give me it's made of metal how in the world would you know that yeah no i always like just because you know they animate metal in a very specific way in the show and i just kind of was like visually i connected it with metal um and then it was just confirmed when she was like yeah it's metal you know i was oh, thinking thanks. really hard that i would make a poll for this episode that would be like do you think zahir flying was dumb or do you think it was good no my poll for this episode is going to be did you know the poison was metal before that line or not because i sure or didn't not. know i thought it was just i thought it just looked that way because it was poison that it was supposed to look weird and inky and shiny yeah i was i was sure it was mercury so i was i was right oh. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, it's, I always get like the heebie jeebies every time I watch this episode. I mean, in multiple points I do, but especially in this part, oh, yeah. um, when the poison is placed on her arms and legs and the metal bender, like it starts to seep into her muscles and the mm. sound effect is just like, oh, it's just like the blood bending sound effect. And it's just like, it makes your skin crawl. Oh yeah. They really just like, the pain. they just shoved, they just shoved like two three gallons of mercury into her body like here you go kid poison mercury seeping into her pores and into her body really horrific um and so you know because obviously you know the poisonous metal is very dangerous to her the avatar state tries to trigger but she doesn't let it fully trigger so it's like flickering in and out and, you know, she's fighting so hard to stay conscious and to not go into the avatar state. And as this is happening, um, she's starting to get hallucinations. And oh my God, the way I squeal <laughs> when Amon showed <laughs> Right? No, because I was, here's the thing, because we hear his voice before we see the hallucination of him. So like he, we hear his voice and the, the camera's on Cora and she looks horrific. And she says something along the lines of like, you know, I told you, Cora, the world doesn't need you anymore. And I swear to God, I thought that he was a red lotus. <laughs> I thought right? he was going to like come out of the shadows and he would have like his mask on and a hood up. And like he was going to be there like <laughs> I was like about to die. But no, it's just a, a hallucination. But then that would have been kind of in a way cool admittedly i think it would have been great because the whole one of the big weaknesses of the show is that aman's been gone i know and and like and like shocking ending but kind of went out like a chump like Mm -hmm. you know and so it would have been great because we were saying at the end of season one bring him on back it'd be great oh i know and i i was so hopeful that would have been that would have been the best twist that would have been the best twist but no it's just hallucination and um she also sees unalak whatever and and, uh she sees evil kind of darkness vatu yes and it's it is cool like even though we don't really care about those other two villains i love how vatu has to like come and flex on her he's like yeah it's me i'm back and i'm bigger and better than ever baby (laughs) just like shut up drama king yep um and like i said even though we don't particularly care for those two villains it was still cool to see them you know in the context of this season yeah um you know, as just a, like, oh, remember them? <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. and just for a moment. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, we get that. Re- I, I don't know what, I'm guessing it's like Attack on Titans or some like super gruesome 
show like anime show but that shot of her when she's like chained and it's like super distorted it's, it's and like wall-eyed there yes. sweating and trembling yeah there's a lot of like visions of actual human terror in like attack on titan <laughs> and there's a lot of pretty viral images from the show you've probably seen mm-hmm. so i'm positive that's what you're thinking of yeah it is a very anime shot and very like effective at conveying just like how fuck she is like for lack of a better word um yeah but uh yeah and so you know we go from there to um she does eventually go into the avatar state like fully and they attempt to kill her which of course it doesn't work (laughs) yeah because she's in the avatar state it's a really dumb plan like they didn't do enough research on this to realize that they were playing with you know gunpowder basically yeah it's like there's a reason that the avatar state is a defense mechanism (laughs) to keep the person alive when they are you know in danger Mm -hmm. and so yeah trying to trigger it without having like a million backup plans is not a good idea not a great Mm -hmm. plan um no it really wasn't uh, he's playing with the acme dynamite kit it's gonna blow up in his face conceptually, you know, killing the Avatar in the Avatar state, if that's, like, your goal to wipe out all the Avatars that could possibly come after Korra, then, yeah, that's a good idea to, like, make it to where she has to go into the Avatar state. But in execution, it's like, dude, you need to have, like, a lot more going on here. Like, you know, you need to have, like, her chained millions of... And see, like, that was the entire thing that we talked about before a few episodes ago about, like, the let's be frank the 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 idiocy of the red lotus's plans is that they as opposed to aman since we just mentioned him so relevant as opposed mm. to aman they don't have much support i mean sure they pull like a dozen red lotus guys out of their back pocket for this episode right. that they have a secret hideout but they're like henchmen they and the henchmen are like guys who do this on the weekend they're not like mm. like serious hen- this is they went to rentahenchman.com for the, right they went on craigslist you know to find these guys but like they're not exactly zealot soldiers of the Red Lotus, you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. their whole problem this entire time has been that they operate solely by themselves. So when Korra goes full Hulk on them, (laughs) and Zaheer's just like, I'm sorry. Like, it really is just (laughs) them unable to handle it because it's Mm -hmm. just the four of them. And as soon as she even puts one of them in the dirt, they're like, oh, that's a quarter of us down. We're literally operating only at 75% strength now. Well, actually, no, it would have been 50 because remember, please already dead at this point. Oh, that's right. It's only three of them. (laughs) Yeah, they're down to like uh, like two thirds left of their full power. So, yeah. (laughs) Yes. But, uh, yeah, but the no, the actual... It's all, also, besides that, let's be honest, it's like the Red Lotus at 100% power, all of them. And then it's like only Zaheer and the Red Lotus at 90% power. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yep. Um, but uh, it is so cool when she does eventually... Because like you've even been saying... I can't remember if it was season two or season one, but you were like, I'm kind of underwhelmed. It must've been season two. Um, I'm kind of underwhelmed by the avatar state for Korra. And this, I was like, Oh, just, just yeah. Finally, (laughs) finally it's back. This is on the same level as Aang going into the avatar state in season three in the finale. um, I feel like in my personal opinion, because this is fully unleashed avatar state rage. Like this is Kyoshi taking over. (laughs) Um, 
and it's so cool to see and like you know she manages to break free of the chains well while still holding on to a chain to be able to use later and you know she's bending all the elements flawlessly so badass she like she's she's pulling an ozai she's flying with fire you know mm-hmm. the fire rockets to her feet so she's able to keep up with Zahir, who's just flying flying um and it is so cool like there are so many shots from this episode of you know core's avatar state power that is that are so like they're literally ingrained in my brain what the right. first one that pops up into my mind is um the revolving shot around the pillar as she's like slicing it in half and she's going around it and she's like it's, it's again i'm not I'm not doing it justice visually. It's just incredible. But yeah, though the 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 entire fight is absolutely spectacular. I mean, you were talking about these moments, you know, during the battle. Um, I think one of the coolest things about it was that just the setting that they were in. Not only like the whole pillars of rock totally mm-hmm. reminded me of the fight between Aang and, o- yep. and Ozai, but also the fact that she had all the elements at her disposal between like, you know, the water and the, and the air and everything. Maybe there mm-hmm. was no point in which she had like all four of them going at the same time. Like, you know, Aang there with his, like all four of them or Korra right. at the season finale of season one uh, moment with all four of them going at the same time, but still mm-hmm. just absolutely spectacular. Just mind-blowing yeah. battle i think we can cut her a little slack she's like literally dying throughout the whole thing so oh yeah no 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 for sure i mean that's not to detract from it at all i'm just saying she uses all the elements just at various mm-hmm. times and obviously mightily uses them right yeah no it's it's so cool and damn does she take a beating like I don't know that I've ever seen a character in Avatar take more of a beating just like you know actually on screen um maybe right. Aang when he got shot by Azula, but damn. I was like, yeah. as I'm watching, I'm just like, she's getting her ass kicked, my poor yeah, girl. Th- this really is her moment to have the Aang getting shot by lightning because of the way that it affects her afterward, which we'll get to mm-hmm. after we kind of speak on this. Um, you know, it, it does put her out of commission for a while the same way as it did with Aang before mm-hmm. the final season of, of, uh, of Avatar. Yeah, absolutely. And I know you had something that you wanted to rant about. Oh my god. Yeah, so yeah, while this entire thing is going on, Mako and Boleyn are having a sort of a re-re-rematch against (laughs) the other two members of the Red Lotus. Um, And they're there fighting, of course, Boleyn is like, you got the lava? Well, I got the lava now too, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, big giant middle finger to him moment. Which is always kind of a cool thing, which is kind of cool because him and uh, Gazan is his name, isn't he? The lava bender. They've always been kind of cool with each other ever since the, like, chat in, like, the back of the truck sort of thing. Like, frat boy bros. There's been a little bit of a good-naturedness to their mm. fight, you know? I never, I honestly am like, I, would he actually kill Bolin? Or would he just kill him and as he's there melting in the lava, high-five him, be like, yeah, man, told you lava-bending rules, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Say no, it, I, say I, it, <laughs> uncle, as he's burning, you know? Right. But, like, but, but then on top of it... <sighs> So Mako, Mako is fighting, and you got to remind me her name. Her name is the one I'm the worst at remembering. Mingwa. So Mako is fighting Mingwa, and 
what have I been saying <laughs> multiple times throughout the season? Mako, have you forgotten how to... Lightning bit. <laughs> exactly. And of course, of course, in the moment when he really has to, when they fall into the cave with all the water, he's like, well, you don't have any water now. And then she falls into the cave. And of course, obviously, my, in my brain, I'm just like, well, of course... <laughs> Yeah, you, you had to ask. You, know? right. <laughs> you had to say that. And now you're literally in her element. She could have like frozen you or anything. Also, mm. quick calling B quick calling BS on this. I kind of hate I kind of hate when like you have to really quickly like nerf your bad guys who have been able to like solo five of the good guys. <laughs> It, right. it, much earlier in the season and she, like if this was like episode nine ming wash would have like frozen the entire pond in ice immediately around right. him just to, to trap him instead she's there splashing water on him and everything and he jumps up and she looks horrified she's like this giant like water witch with tentacles Tentacle yeah. and then he suddenly remembers that he can lightning <laughs> <laughs> and he hits the water brutal by the way to kill her mm. through electrocution love it thank you for continuing to shock us with terrible deaths for the red lotus exactly. if anybody shocking. deserved it it was her oh my yes. <laughs> it was shocking it was shocking amanda it took the earth that the earth queen's death took my breath away police death was mind-blowing and mingwan's death was shocking Oh no. <laughs> and Gazan's death was earth shattering. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's we great. <laughs> yeah, no, that that was my big hang up. Did you didn't you have a rant about this episode? Oh no, it's not a rant. It actually is me like gushing about the final part of the episode, like the final scene. Um so I guess we can just kind of get right to it. So, yeah, because I mean, they de they defeat Zaheer and everything yeah. with the power of love and, and friendship and everything, and then it takes <laughs> us into the epilogue, which is again, you said you had a lot to say about it. Oh yeah, so Cora obviously being poisoned is now in a wheelchair, which I was not expecting. That was quite a yeah. shock, um, and that kind of left me being like, "What? <laughs> like, what's happening next season?" Like. <laughs> Um, and so she's in really bad shape. It's like a couple weeks later after the attack. Um, mm -hmm. and so she's still healing and she still is like mentally just totally like her, I can't even imagine what is going through her head at that moment. Um, but it's a happy day because Janora is finally getting her tattoos because she has, she took you know, so charge. Cool. Yeah. She took charge of the air, uh, nomads and she started to, you know, really come into her own as an airbending leader and just as a spiritual leader, you know, the spirit, um, I was going to say telepathy, but, you know, the astral projection that she can do um, right. and her connection to the spirit. So she proves that she can certainly become a master and get her tattoos. So we have this whole ceremony that every character, pretty much every character, Varric's not there, um, but almost all the characters, Zuko's including... Zuko's not you there. Know, no, Zuko is there. The oh, is he? Yeah, he actually, he was the only one that bowed to Korra when they were, like, at the foot of the oh, ceremony. Oh, yes, yeah, He didn't right. say anything, now. but he was there. Okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. All right, you get the point but, five back on the ratings, so good. Yes. Um, but, yeah, so everybody's there for Janora's ceremony, 
And Tenzin gives, you know, a beautiful speech that not only talks about Janora, but also talks about the sacrifice that Korra, you know, made in order to mm-hmm. save, you know, the world, basically, as she does as the Avatar. And the thing, not only is it beautifully animated, the whole finale scene, but the real standout is the music. Yes. that track, Service and Sacrifice, I have it on my phone, is probably outside of the Avatar music that's just been like redone, you know, in yeah. the uh, Legend of Korra theme. Um, that is probably my favorite piece of music from Legend of Korra. I've listened to that individual piece and watched that scene with the music so many times. It is incredible. Gives me the feels every time. I was actually sobbing by the end of watching it the first time with Rachel. Like, oh my god, this is hitting so hard. And it was mostly because of the music. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's just a great scene. And it's it was also so emotional because you know, Janora, she is wearing this hood that's covering her face throughout most of the scene. Oh, I, I loved this moment. And yeah, the music swells as Tenzin pulls back her, you know, her hood covering her face, and we see that she's not only, you know, shaved her head and gotten her tattoos, but she looks exactly like Aang. And I I'm know, like, I love it. The tears, like it's Egg's granddaughter. He looks just like her. Like, ugh. yeah. <laughs> and it was just the the floodgates opened, and she hugs Tenzin, and everybody's clapping, and it's so happy. The Airbenders mm-hmm. are bending the the wind chimes, and it's so yep. beautiful. And then we just cut to the shot of Korra, and she's just sitting in her wheelchair, staring off into the middle distance, like completely vacant, and she mm-hmm. just starts crying. And then it cuts, and I'm just like god damn it like it's so like take that image and then match it to an image of her from season one this is not like it is the same character obviously but this is not this you know young bright-eyed you know fiery woman anymore this is someone that has been through hell and back and has a long way to recovery in the next season um and, well, and because the trauma that she experiences in this finale is so different than it's been mm-hmm. before you know in the first season she experienced this 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 uh psychological trauma yeah from Iman. but even then it wasn't like the hard for me to say it in the right way it, it scared her like it scares a little girl she's crying mm-hmm. she's shaking she's haunted by things she feels paranoid but this is different. There's a difference between I'm scared and I'm frightened and I'm like actually traumatized. Yeah, like deeply traumatized. Yeah. Because because the first one was like an emotional trauma. Mm-hmm. And when she fought against Unalak, it was just like another oh, day. <laughs> I don't I don't feel like I can do it. Like the, she was, it wasn't a traumatizing battle. She right. felt kind of down on herself after the first time she failed. And then she like jumped back up and meditated and became a giant Kaiju. Like right. th- this is like, if you, if you don't love me at my, it's like her in the wheelchair. It's like, you don't deserve me at my, it's like 300 foot tall <laughs> astral <Yes>. projection. <laughs> For, for as far as the wavelength here of, of Korra and the extremities, mm-hmm. but this one is different because her whole being physically tortured into the Avatar state is a spiritual trauma, mm-hmm. and and my only little 
Uncle Todd moment nudging is not a word of wisdom, but you know, the traumas like that in life that shape us, that actually cause real nod to the title of this season, cause real change in us, are those spiritual moments. And I think it's hard to really say what those moments are, to explain them to somebody who hasn't gone through them. But there's lots of things in life that are hard. They're mentally difficult to overcome. There's lots of things in life that happen that are emotionally difficult to overcome. There are lots of things in life that are physically challenging for us. But then something that literally puts us through something that we couldn't imagine and shapes us as a person that's what we've seen happen with Cora, and it's a huge maturing and as you said there's a huge time skip between here and season four i obviously am super intrigued seeing what this change that's going to come over this character is as a result of this oh yeah it is a it is quite the transformation and i i'm so excited i love season four and i love Cora and the change that she goes through because of this finale um, and how she matures and all that. Um, it's it's really great stuff. I think you're going to like it a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So this episode, man, there's a lot to digest in it because it is just so massively huge, like the scope of everything. But you know what? The thing is that it's very satisfying and it closes things out in such a massively satisfying way. I don't mean to say this. I don't mean to, to rate it in a way that makes it sound like I find a flaw in it or something. I'm just comparing mm -hmm. it in my mind to things I've rated as a 10 to 4. Still right. very impressive. I rate the season finale of season 3 a 9.8 out of 10 with huge accolades. I think I might actually agree with you on this one. which We haven't had an agreement in quite a while on ratings, but um, <laughs> I... Yeah, um, really the only thing that I find fault with in this episode is just how brutalized Korra is. Like, it gets almost uncomfortable to watch after a while, which is the point. Like, we're supposed to feel just how terrible and how traumatic this is, but it does get kind of uncomfortable. Um, but aside from that, it is damn near perfect in my eyes. And like, like I said this had me in tears the first time that I watched it by yeah. the end. And I just get, have gotten so attached to these characters at this point and seeing them, you know, beaten down so badly <laughs> and not knowing like what was going to happen next initially. Like I was just like, damn, this is some so here's, good shit. <laughs> here's my thing that is my kind of echo in the same way, but for a different reason of that little mm -hmm. skim off the top that keeps it from being at a 10 out of 10 for me. Right. I will say something that echoes what I've said before, and I won't belabor the point because I've said it several times during the podcast here about The Legend of Korra, is that it's so ironic that for a show that is highlighting this female character and has such a great opportunity to use it to make her a really strong character, they continue to hollow her victories. Her victories are not her own. I get it within the writing a hero when you don't want the hero to just solo the villain and you want to show a collaborative effort and you want everybody's presence in the finale to, to, to count, you know? Mm -hmm. But even then, the, the best victory she had was knocking Amon out of it when she unlocked her air building, uh, her air building, air bending <laughs> in the season one finale. But even then, she had lost everything else and her victory was hollowed and she needed her power handed back to her by Aang. 
And in two, she had to get this weird assist from Fairy Janora that allowed her to, to get up from being beaten down. And then here she is, losing it and being beaten down, as she gets another assist from everybody else when she's dying. And mm. I'm really, really hoping for season four for it to finally be her time to actually take a victory solely for herself. That is that is what's been dangled in front of me every finale in this entire series and that is what has me gripping tightly here to the wheel as we round the bend for season four i want cora to get her solo win that she so badly deserves that she's been cheated out of three different times it's a 9.8 out of 10 it's a fantastic finale but i'm waiting for season four to elevate cora to the queen that she is hell yeah we're here for it we'll see what happens when we get to season four next episode <laughs> we will see you guys in season four can't wait that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on twitter at millwood and micah and please follow our instagram at millwood and micah podcast thanks again and we'll be back in the next episode